Well, it's exciting to be together, and I want to say I'm really, really excited for uh, the fact that God allows us to be a part of someone's life where they get to discover how much he loves them and cares about them. Um, For some of you, we were a part of your discovery. And for all of us, we're hopefully we can go even deeper with God all the time. But I want to talk to you about something. Get ready. Before we get in the message, get ready for this. I, um, if I have your email address, I email you. So if you're part of the Crossroads family, I email you. But I want to take a little poll. So right now, right now, if you don't have the chat open, get the chat open. I want to take a poll and I want to find out how you would answer this. So we're going to do a poll. Here's the question. If you get an email from me or you get an email from Pam, which one do you open? All right. So you get an email from me, an email from Pam. Which one do you open? Uh, Because let me tell you what happened. Uh, Put it in the chat. Put it in the chat right now. Start putting what you say. But uh, Pam had a meeting today, and she comes walking in, and I, I said, how was your meeting? And Pam said, uh, I found out something interesting. I found out that when we send out emails, more people open my email than your email, Chuck. I was like, what? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah. People by far open my email over your email. Guys, Guys, is that true? I mean, and, and I, it's not that I doubt my wife, but come on, I'm sending emails to you with stuff I think are super important, and you're not opening my emails. And, and that's what I found out. And, and so here's the thing. I know you're not hearing about things that I want you to know. Like uh, I, I, I sent out an email with a link to a podcast that tells you why and how we make the decisions we're making during this season. And I poured out my heart, <laughs> and no one opened it. That's what I found out. Or how about this? Um, We have something coming up on October the 24th. I'll be sending out an email on it. Uh, We're going to be having a very, very, very special prayer, praise, and celebration service, uh, celebrating the now that God is doing and what we're doing in our future. And so, you know what, on that night, uh, we're actually going to celebrate groundbreaking here on our property. We are going to be dedicating children to the Lord. Uh, If you want to have your child dedicated, by the way, go to CrossroadsChurch.com and then go to the kids section of our webpage. And then when you click on kids, go all the way to the bottom. And there's a place there where you can have the baby dedication or child dedication class. Your children of all ages are welcome. And whether you're here on campus or or your online campus, we want to do a special time of children dedication uh, in that night. So all this will be in the email, October the 24th, incredible prayer and praise service, uh, celebrating groundbreaking, celebrating uh, children being dedicated, uh, praying for our country, praying for our future, praying for you. All that's going to happen. And if you don't open my email, you're not going to know about it, maybe. Although I told you now. Uh, Or how about this? Um, some years back, I, I was sitting uh, I, in, a, in a conference, and it was one of the toughest times of my life. Um, and it was one, not the toughest. I had some harder ones, but it was a tough one. And um, I'm sitting there, and a guy named Herbert Cooper came out to preach. And he lit us up. But he talked about something. He talked about four survival strategies that you need during a storm. Very biblical stuff, amazing scripture. 
And, and it was one of the best sermons I ever heard. So when we decided to do our best of our best series, where I asked some of my friends to preach the best messages they've ever preached, I, I thought I got to reach out to Herbert Cooper. Uh, but by the way, <laughs> get ready for this. I had no way to get a hold of him. So I asked Pam. Pam, can you get a hold of him? And right away, because of Pam reaching out to his wife, Tiffany, Herbert said yes to bringing that message to you. And he made it very special for Crossroads. So on October the 28th, we are going to have Herbert's pictures up right now. This guy will light it up. This is something you need to hear. You need to mark it down on your calendar. You need to invite all your friends, all your family. You need to watch this and talk about it. And by the way, I'll be sending that out in an email to you uh, because I want you to know all about it and not forget it. But I'm hearing you won't open it up. So we're going to have to figure out something about that. But, but I want you to know about that. I want you to be in on it. And, and here's the thing. Uh, I want you to know what God is doing and how we can even partner with you to be better at it. And so uh, uh, when I send you an email, uh, maybe I'll just have Pam email you. Uh, Pam, I know you're watching. Put in the chat. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to get super honest. Pam got really honest with me. She said, Chuck, um, I don't open your emails. Pam doesn't open my emails. So I don't know. We'll have to try to figure something else out. Uh, there was a, a, a teacher who was teaching, and uh, she was allowed to have a live classroom with the kids in it. And a little boy is just working away and working away. And she walks up to him and she said, uh, uh, so what are you drawing? And he looked up at her. He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she looked at him and said, um, but nobody knows what God looks like. He goes, they will when I'm done. <laughs> I love the optimism. I love the confidence. And I think that's funny. If you think it's funny, you got to put it in the chat. You got to put it in the chat. Because I got I to gotta have some love from you guys. If you're not going to open my email... Laugh at the jokes. Well, you don't have to do that either. Here's the thing. Our goal in this series is for you to see how God, how God works and how he weaves his will into our life and how his ways become alive to us. God is working behind the scenes. God is working behind the scenes to enact his will. And if you love him and live your life according to his purpose, the Bible clearly says he wants to bring his will and his ways up to your life in the good times, in the bad times, in the tough times, in every moment. And he will take the good, the bad, and the ugly and he will turn it for good in your life somehow, some way. We're going to get into some very heavy truths about that. You see, what we're really studying is the theology of God's will. And so I want to tell you that God has a permissive will. God has a sovereign will. And in the midst of that sovereign will, God has an immutable will. Now, you probably don't use the word immutable very often, but what does it mean? It means unchanging. That cannot be changed. See, while God gives a permissive will in the midst of that, which we'll get into next week, God has an immutable will that will not change. He discerns and determines things that he wants to happen. And when he says it, when he wants it, when he thinks it, it has to occur. And in the Bible, we see that over and over. See, one of the things the Bible teaches is this, that God is God, and he's not applying for the job. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. Pastor Billy Ingram, uh, the pastor of Maranatha Church in, in downtown Los Angeles, he said that one time, and I wrote it down. I've never forgot it. God is God, and he's not applying for the job. See, you need to know that. And he's not, he's not at your beck and call or my beck and call. And he's not, he's not accountable to mankind. Mankind is accountable to him. God is God, and he's not applying for the job. Um, I met a guy one time, a very amazing young man named Pat Matthews. Uh, Pat was going to West Point. He would graduate from West Point. He would have a stellar career in the military. But uh, I was talking to Pat, and I said, hey, how did you come to know Christ? And he said, you know what? I, I was sitting with this guy named Steve Bader, who was one of my friends. And uh, I was arguing with Steve, and I was telling Steve why there couldn't be a God and how the Bible couldn't be true. And Steve was sharing with me the proofs of God and how the Bible is true. And then finally, Steve said, look, I'm done arguing. He said, I'm going to tell you three things, and I'm, that's it, and I'm done. He said, Pat, I want to tell you there is a God. And he said, and I want to tell you, number two, Pat, you're not God. And Pat, you need God. And he got up and walked away. And Pat said at first he was stunned. He just thought, well, he just walked away from me. But then those words just started reverberating in his mind. There is a God. You're not God. And you need God. And he said, you know, at first I thought, no, I don't. But then... He said it just began to keep going and keep moving and keep moving. He goes, later on, I would learn that was the Holy Spirit causing that truth not to be able to be pushed away from my thoughts and taken out of my heart. And, and he said, I, I finally gave my life to the Lord. When I met Pat, he was on fire for Christ. At West Point, he was leading people to Christ. And I knew he was going to not only be a godly man, but a man of honor in our military. We need to know the truth of that. In Isaiah... Chapter 45, verse 5, it says this. God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. You're not God. I'm not God. There's no other God but the one and only true God. He said, I am the Lord God and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, which means I will dress you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming the light, don't miss this, and creating the darkness. Causing well-being, get ready for this part, and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God does create calamity. God does call for darkness to fall on those who won't walk with him. God said, I am willing to gird you and protect you, dress you and keep you and plan for you and guide you. But if you won't listen to me, you need to know, I, I may, I at times will bring calamity, bring darkness and bring judgment. God says, I do all that. And he doesn't apologize. He doesn't apologize. Um, God doesn't answer to you. God doesn't answer to me. God doesn't answer to anybody. And you know what? Job's perspective is so interesting when it comes to this. If you haven't read in the Bible, Job was a man who was very wealthy. Everything was going his way, and then everything fell apart. Everything that mattered to him in an earthly way was taken in just a, a moment of time, including his health. 
in the midst of the heartbreak, in the midst of the pain, Job's perspective was so interesting because he now, his health is failing and he's in agony. And his wife turns and says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want to ask you a question. Will you accept whatever God brings to your life? I want to ask me that same question. Lord, will I accept good? Yes, for sure. But will I accept adversity? Things that are hard. Things I don't understand. Things that are heartbreaking. Disappointment. When I hoped and hoped and hoped and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And you said no. Or you, you were silent at that time. You know what? Will I accept from God whatever he gives to me? Job said he would. He said, I am just going to take the good that God brings in my life and I'll take the adversity God brings in my life. It's tough to cling to this way of thinking. It's really hard. Maybe right now is one of those seasons during this COVID crisis, this coronavirus epidemic, pandemic, that brings such confusion and, and causes life not to be as easy as it was. And I'm watching people deal with deep disappointment. Uh, by the way, in the chat right now, Stephen, I saw it, man. I'm praying for you. Stephen said it was a really bad day because the place where he works, they had to lay off a lot of people. Stephen, um, I know God is God and God can take this and turn it to good, but I wanted you to know that, number one, I think it's awesome that you care so much about this. You let us know. And uh, I care. We care. We want to be a family to surround you in the midst of your heartbreak and the pain you're feeling for your former co-workers. It's hard. It's hard uh, when, when you don't get the things you want to get. When a hurricane hits and destroys a city and wipes out a family's home. When a tornado hits a town and a trailer comes down hard killing a small child. When a man goes to the store just to buy some milk and is shot by somebody who just decided to rob the store and was only going to get a few dollars. But now his life, his life is altered in a negative way, an adverse way, to quote Job. When a child's born with a handicap um, and the parents who are wanting and wanting that baby and they're shocked and they're trying hard to, to see the good in it. And then... There's this verse in the Bible that they struggle with. Exodus 4.11, it says, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Listen to the last part. Look at it on the screen. Is it not I, the Lord? Wait, what? God said, I make some people to speak and some people can't speak. I make some people to hear and some people can't hear. I make some people to see and some people are blind. God said, I do that. 
And you go, wait. I, I don't always understand, or I don't even understand. And God, God's answer is this. I don't answer to you. I do these things, God says. And then God brings redemption and beauty out of it. I remember one time I was walking out of my office, heading to my car, and I saw a man sitting there, young guy. I, I didn't know him well, but I recognized him. And I walked over, said, are you okay? And he goes, no. I came here to see if a pastor would pray with me. I just couldn't make it inside the door. He said, my, my wife's in the hospital right now with our newborn. Even hugged him for a second, and, and you could tell it was wanted. And I said, hey, uh, let me pray, let me pray. But I want to talk with you. I said, I want to promise you this baby is going to be a blessing. I want to promise you this child is going to be a joy. I want to promise you there's a, not a day, or at least there's going to come a day, when you are going to be so thrilled this is your child. And I prayed with them, and I said, look, I want to set something up for you. And, and I did. I, I knew a family in the church that had a little boy with Down syndrome. And I called him up, and I said, hey, let me tell you what happened, and, and can I bring him over? And so I arranged a time for he and I to go over and meet with that family. When they opened the door and that little boy came bounding in with that beautiful angelic face and big smile and ran right to him and hugged him. And he's standing there in that moment realizing that's going to happen to me with my son and it's going to be incredible. That was a while back, but let me tell you something. I know this today. That husband, that father, and that mother love their child. That child is a, a, a being, a, a human being, a, a baby, a child of God filled with unconditional love. But they know God. God's in charge. And they trusted God in the midst of the time that it was hard. You see, all those stories I told you before this were true stories of families that I know, people who have been through times like those. And I've watched God in the midst of it, in the midst of the calamity and the darkness and the tragedy and the pain. I've watched God do what he does, bring redemption. Turn it somehow to good. Uh, Job chapter 9, going back to Job, the one who felt like at one point he lost it all because he did. Uh, Job said this, he goes, then Job spoke again and said, yes, I know that all this is true in principle. He goes, I know all this is true in principle. But how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even one in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty. Who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains and overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. He, if he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the southern sky. He does great things, too marvelous to understand he performs countless miracles. Yet when he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves by, I do not see him go. 
If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing? That was wisdom. To not, to not even try to challenge God, but to accept from God the good and the bad that sometimes comes. The hard along with the easy. The challenge. The moment of disappointment along with the incredible blessings that finally follow. See, there are two truths we need to see when it comes to God's immutable will. Number one, and I've shared this with you before, but I want to make sure and lock it in your mind. Not everything that happens is God's will. Not everything that happens is God's will. See, I hear people say this word, all, these words all the time. Well, everything happens for a reason. By the way, that's not true. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. See, technically, that is not true because not everything that happens is reasonable and not everything that happens is from God. See, but God, God will, God will take what happens and work it for good if you love him and you're committed to living your life to the purpose he has for you. Romans 8, 28, which we'll quote a lot during this series, says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, God causes everything to work for good. God doesn't cause everything. God causes everything to work for good, but God doesn't cause everything. So while these kind of things happen, not everything happens for a reason, but God can bring reasonableness to it. God can bring reason to it. So not everything happens for a reason, but God God can bring reason to it. So we need to understand not everything that happens is the will of God uh, uh, and, or even from God. Uh, it's not God's will, uh, by the way. It wasn't God's will for the Pharisees at the time of Jesus' walking the earth to turn away from him. Listen to that again. It wasn't God's will for the Pharisees to reject Jesus, but they did. Luke 7.30 says this, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. If they had been baptized by John, they would have been prepared to give their lives to Jesus. But they didn't do that. They rejected God's purpose for them. And so they did not get God's plan and blessing in their life. Uh, in the New King James Version, uh, Luke 7, verse 30 is translated this way, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. See, in the Greek, in the Greek, because the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, uh, the word will uh, that's there or purpose uh, has the idea of that which is willed. So God's purpose, God's will was rejected by the Pharisees. By the way, it is not God's will for you to reject his commands and live your life outside his purpose. But right now you might be. Right now there's some commands of God that you may even know and you're not doing. Right now that you may not be living in the very purpose and plan God has for you. We talked about that last week where like God has this plan for you, but you may be going off course. And so now you're missing out, at least in this season, for this moment of your life, on all that God would do and have for you. But it's not God's will for you to reject that. 
It's not God's will, by the way. It wasn't God's will for Jerusalem to be disobedient to Jesus. When Jesus came and did those miracles and preached those messages, it was the will of God for them to accept him. But they rejected him. God knew they would. But it broke the heart of Jesus where Jesus said these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I have wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under his wing, under her wings. And you, you would not have it. Did you see those last words? I wanted to gather you, you would not have it. I wanted to protect you, you would not have it. So one of the reasons Jesus cries is because they would suffer utter devastation when the Romans would destroy the city. And it wouldn't have happened if they had given themselves to Jesus. But they would not have it. They would not do what his purpose was. By the way, it's not God's will for anyone to be sexually immoral. Listen to this. It is not God's will for anyone to commit sexual immorality. That means fornication or premarital sex, adultery, uh, any kind of a, a G LGBTQ lifestyle. I, I know some of the, you know, that, that bothers you, but God's clear that's not okay. It's not his will. Uh, to abuse somebody sexually is not God's will. And, and so none of those things are God's will. But it happens way too often. Sad to say I could say it happens all the time. See, listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your being holy, your being set apart. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own uh, vessel, his own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification or holiness. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So see, God's will is we be pure. God's will is that we're sexually pure. And that sex is only between a man and a woman in marriage. Rape is not God's will. Incest is not God's will. Pornography is not God's will. Prostitution is not God's will. Adultery is not God's will. Living together outside of marriage is not God's will. No sexual encounter outside of marriage is God's will. So God... God is clear on this. And we live in a society where people are rejecting God's will. And so many horrible things are occurring because of it. Sexually transmitted disease. People being abused. Sex trafficking. Marriages being destroyed. People not realizing by having sex before marriage... And outside of marriage, it always takes a toll and never makes the relationship better. God has warned us, and yet so many people reject us. And every time they do, they're not doing God's will. See, it's God's will for you to, to do and, and follow the things he tells you to do. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, listen to these things that are God's will. 
It says, rejoice always, that's God's will. Pray without ceasing is God's will. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. By the way, we're in a time we're not, we're not seeing some people who are Christians giving thanks in everything right now in this season. And God says, but that's my will for you. And we reject it. Uh, another thing that's God's will is Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says these words. Look how clear they are. You should tithe, yes. That's God's will. Uh, it's God's will for every Christian to take the tithe, the first 10% that comes in in your income, and give it to God. Uh, and by the way, you never are to hold on to it. Uh, you're never to keep it. You're to give it to the church, God's storehouse in the New Testament times. And it's God's will for, for every Christian to do that. By the way, are every Christian doing it? Is every Christian doing that? No. I, I, according to a recent study, maybe about a couple years ago, uh, 80% of people who call themselves Christians are rejecting this. They're not doing God's will. I'm not trying to be mean. Some of you who are watching right now, you're getting ready to click off. Why? Because you're not wanting to do God's will when it comes to this. And God promises to bless you if you would. God promises to, to make incredible things happen if we would. As a matter of fact, what's so interesting about that is the idea of the word you should tithe in the Greek is a Greek word dei, D-E-I. And it means it's an obligation or duty for you to. It is God's will for you too. Jesus couldn't be clearer when he said that. So here's the command. How many churches today could be doing amazing things to change the world, but there are Christians who say no to this part of God's will? And uh, the churches can't do it. It's not that God didn't call the church to do it, command the church to do it, tell the church to do it, direct the church to do it, but then 80% say no. And so, so many churches across the country aren't able to go and do the incredible things God would want them to do, make the incredible difference God would want them to make. You see, not everything that happens is God's will. And that's what I want to tell you. So now, I've, now that I brought that out, let me tell you, Right now, there's some things that you may be doing that are not God's will. There are things, listen, 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 there are things that have happened to you or are being done to you that weren't God's will. And uh, that's part of God's immutable will that he will not change. He will allow those things to occur. That's part of his immutable will. See, God is sovereign. He's willed that you have free will. He's willed that people have free will. And, and when someone has free will, they have free will not to do the right thing. And others always or most always suffer for that. Um, A.W. Tozier said something. He's a famous Bible scholar. And I, I like this so much I wanted it shown on the screen. It says this. God's sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice and man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it inasmuch, listen to this, inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice man should make, but that he should be free to make it. Did you read that with me? Did you see that with me? The eternal decree is not the choice you'll make, but that you are free 
to make it. That is God's immutable will. So uh, you need to know that God is not going to take away your free will, at least in most, uh, most cases and the vast majority of cases. So number one, not everything that happens is God's will. Number two, God's will, though, can never be thwarted. God's will can never be thwarted. Uh, thwarted means stopped. Uh, it means delayed. It, it means suspended. Uh, it means counteracted. It can never happen when it comes to God's will. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. In other words, he's God, and we're not, and he's not applying for the job. Job 42 verse 1 says, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. I know you can do all things, and then no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's why I use that word, thwarted. Uh, God's will can never be thwarted. And so, for instance, it was God's will that Jesus would come, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, showing us the right way to live, teaching the most amazing truths that would be eternal and live on forever and never be changed, that he would be arrested for a crime he never committed, that he would be tortured, that he would suffer, that he would die on the cross for my sins and your sins, that he would go into a grave for three days, that he would conquer death, that he would rise again. And he did all this so that you and I could be free from sin and we could come into a relationship with God the Father. That was God's will. And it could never be thwarted. In Acts chapter 2, 22, uh, we're told this where it says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. By the way, no one denied he did those things. This man, just Jesus, delivered over by predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. So that was God's plan all along. It wasn't a plan B. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a pivot. We use that word all the time. Pivot. It was the plan God always had. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. He loves everyone so much. He doesn't want sin to keep us in its grasp. He doesn't want death to be the final place that we come to of agony. He wanted you, he wanted me to have a way to be forgiven and go to heaven. Acts chapter 4, 27 and 28 says, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. He said it was already planned, and it was predestined, and it could not be thwarted that that would occur. See, it was God's will for Jesus to suffer. Get ready for this one. It may be and most likely is God's will. Actually, I'm going to say it flat out. It is God's will for you to suffer at sometimes. It's God's will for me to suffer at sometimes. Just like it was God's will for Jesus to suffer, it's God's will that you will suffer and I will suffer. 
In 1 Peter 3.17, it says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So suffering actually makes us better. Suffering makes us stronger. Suffering connects us to the heart of God in a deep way. Uh, when I was telling you about, my, about Herbert Cooper and that message he brought, it was a time when I was suffering. And it hurt. And it was painful. But I'll tell you what, I got closer to God. I know I did. I connected more with the heart of God. Uh, I, I think I became a better person through that. More caring, more empathetic. Would not have happened apart from suffering. It was God's will for me to suffer during that season. See, God does that. God does that. Uh, let me, uh, I'm going to jump ahead, you guys, to Job 14, verse 1. God has predetermined how many days you'll live and how many days I'll live. You cannot live one day longer than God says you get to. And in Job 14, verse 1, it says, Man who was born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Our lives are like that. And by the way, the older I get, the quicker it seems like it passed by. And there were tough times in it. Verse 5, since his days are determined, all of me, every person's days are determined. The number of his months is with you and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. God has a day for me to die. Uh, unless the rapture happens, that day will come and I'm not going to miss it. Uh, God has a day you'll die. You're not going to go one second beyond what he says. You won't get one more sunrise or one more sunset. But you've got to use your life to the fullest while you have it. And God has predetermined our time. And God wants you to know that it's uh, with a purpose. And you're to fulfill a purpose in the time you have. But if you give your life to Christ, you don't really die. You just shut your eyes and wake up in heaven. That's what God wants for you, and that God, that's what God wants for me. Uh, but there's some people who want to quarrel with God over what he's determined, and that's not a wise way to live. Isaiah 45, verse 9 says, Woe to those who quarrel with his maker, an earthenware vessel, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, what are you giving birth to? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands and I ordained all their hosts. Uh, Isaiah is saying there, he goes, are you crazy? Anybody who would quarrel with God, why would you do that? Because in the end, God is bringing about something that will be beautiful because everything becomes beautiful in its time when it's in God's hands. And it, maybe there's some fire that has to happen before it occurs. There may be some brokenness that has to happen before there's redemption. But God wants you and I to know that in the end, he will do his will. He, in the end, he will do his will. His will is immutable, unchangeable, sovereign. And we need to know that. But we can't always understand it because God's ways are higher than ours. They're beyond us. 
Romans 11, 33 to 36 says, Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable are his ways. For he who, has known, who, he who has known the mind of God or the mind of the Lord or become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Origen, who was an early church father, living very close to the time of Christ, wrote what's called the first principles. And listen to what he said about those verses I just read to you. He says, Paul did not say that God's judgments were hard to search out, but that they could not be searched out at all. He did not say that God's ways are hard to find out, but that they were impossible to find out. For however far one may advance in the search and make progress through an increasing earnest study, even when aided and enlightened by the mind, in the mind by God's grace, he will never be able to reach the final goal of his inquiries if he's trying to understand God completely. That's what he said. So you and I show wisdom when we trust in God, even in the times that are hard to trust. You might say, I don't know if I can do this, but you do all the time. You trust in things all the time that you don't completely know. Yeah. And during it, when you watch the Apple event, what happens is they, they show you uh, uh, how they built the Apple 12 Pro. And they show you all the chips and the circuits and the breakthroughs uh, that they did electrically uh, about how they operate, how they connect, how fast they are. And Pam and I sit there going, oh, 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 not understanding one word they're saying. <laughs> there might be some of you out there who can. The vast majority of us can. Come on. When they describe the circuitry, the chips, the processors in the iPhone, the majority of you don't understand it. And guess what? You still use it. Actually, I'll say this. Listen, we still trust in it. I pick it up expecting that it'll work. I use it trusting it'll do the very thing I want it to do. It'll give me what I need in the moment. But I don't understand how it works. God is obviously more advanced, more complex than an iPhone 12 Mac, a Pro Max. God is also is stronger. God is also ready to move and lead you and guide you and give you what you need. Carry you through hard times. And you don't have to understand him to have that happen. But you could trust that he has an immutable will that can never be changed. And in the end, in the end, you'll come through. See, God does that, and I've seen it happen. Um, Pam and I uh, went to school with uh, Sandy. She was actually behind us uh, in school. She was my sister-in-law, Jackie's age, one of her best friends. But we knew her while we were in high school and, and, and had a great friendship. Uh, Sandy met Sean, who also went to school with us. And uh, Sean and Sandy got married, and they ended up giving their lives to Christ. And they ended up having these incredible daughters. And, uh, man, God was moving in them. Sean was a godly, godly father, a caring husband. He was an attorney that helped people and saw it as not only a profession, but a ministry. And he practiced in the Palm Springs area. One Christmas, Sandy and Sean went to the home of one of his clients who he had helped through a very bitter and messy divorce. And he had really championed her cause and got her through it. 
So they were at this party celebrating, not the divorce, but celebrating life and God and love and, and with friends. And, and then what happened is Sean and Sandy left. And as they were driving home, Sandy said, oh my gosh, we don't have any milk. And Sean goes, no problem, I'll get it. She goes, I am so sorry. He goes, no, 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 I'll get it. So he pulls up and he drops her off. He said, I'll be back soon. And Sean drove. Uh, he bought milk. And nobody knows why. But he stopped back by the party. And he, when he got out of the car, left the car running with the milk in it, he ran inside his client's house, not knowing that her ex-husband was there with the gun and he shot and killed Sean when Sean came through the door. And Sandy lost her husband like that. Their daughter lost her father like that. It was heartbreaking. But they trusted in God. Um, at the funeral, Sandy and the girls wore white to show that they believed with all their heart Sean was in heaven. And God was with them. And uh, then they had to go on with life. While Sandy trusted God with everything she had, she actually said this to me, but also more to God. She goes, I don't know if I'll ever be able to celebrate Christmas again. I don't know if the girls will. But over the course of time, God brought comfort that became healing, that became strength, they became ability to trust him no matter what. And Sandy ended up meeting another very, very godly, caring man and falling in love, and they got married. And then she was surprised to find out after a while she was pregnant. And on Christmas Eve, and on Christmas Eve, Tasha Joy was born. And Sandy told us all, God not only gave me a marriage, and an incredibly godly husband, and a beautiful daughter, but God gave me Christmas back. Man, I know Sandy, it wasn't easy, but she was like Job. She took the good and the adversity, and she just kept trusting God. You can do that. God wants you to do that. Because while there may be pain, there may be suffering, there may be disappointment, there may be heartbreak, there will come redemption if you let God redeem you now. If you let God love you now. If you love God in the now. It's coming your way, but you got to trust in the God who has an immutable will that includes not always easy things, good things, safe things, but in the end brings the best. I want to ask a question. Do you right now have a very real relationship with God? If your last day to live came like Sean's did, are you ready? Are you ready to go to heaven? Are you ready to be one who's already not going to have to truly die? But when those eyes are shut and that last breath's taken, you know you'll be in the presence of God immediately? Are you somebody that, that has said yes to Jesus and not rejected his purpose for his life, his will for his, your life, and you haven't rejected the gift he gave you by dying on the cross for your sins. And if you are someone who's embraced Jesus, you know it's real. It's not a religion, it's a relationship that's real. So right now, are you in a relationship with Jesus? If not, 
I can tell you his purpose for you, his will for you, is to say yes to him and commit your life to him. And you do that by doing two things. One, you do it by praying a prayer where you tell him, yes, I want to give my life to you. And I'm going to lead that very prayer and ask you to pray it with me right now. You could pray it just you and I. Uh, you could pray it with me and you and, and your friends or your, who you're married to or even your whole family. But right now, the first step is to pray that prayer. The second step, and it's God's will, it's Jesus' will and Jesus' purpose, is for you to make it known. He wants you to let it be known you've made this commitment. And I'm going to ask you not only to pray the prayer with me, but to do the second step by taking a phone or taking an iPad or a computer, anything you could text with, and text AMEN, which means the truth. It means for real. Text AMEN to 69922. Text AMEN to 69922. And and when you do, we're going to text you back to find out who you are. We want to connect with you. We want to know about you. And then we want to send you for free an electronic copy of The Purpose Driven Life, Uh, a book that will help you know the steps to take to find your purpose and live with God. But it's so important that you pray the prayer. Something happens when you make it known. If you can't text, you can email me at chuck at crossroadschurch.com. And we're going to connect with you. We're going to celebrate with you. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to give you the gift. You could pray this prayer for the first time. You could pray it to recommit. Some of you need to come back to God right now. You could pray this prayer to put your marriage back in the hands of God. Uh, You could pray this prayer if right now you're suffering from any kind of addiction, any kind of a habit, a habit that's hurting you and you need to be freed from it or hurt and pain in your life. Maybe tonight you've experienced hurt and pain and this has even been hard to work through with me and you need healing. You could pray this prayer and then text amen. So right now, for all of you who love God, I'm going to ask you to pray for people. Start praying for people to pray this prayer. But for some of you right now, for the first time, and to recommit or to find freedom or healing, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything that will hold me back or hold me down. And I pray that you'll make me yours. And I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. If you prayed the prayer, amen, praise God. But but you know what? Text it in now too. Text it in now too. Uh, text amen to 69922. And we want to give you the gift. We want to know who you are. And we want to pray for you.